Well, just having finished kind of Colossians, kind of went fast, I found it difficult to hopefully be obedient to what the Lord wanted me to do. Um, we went kind of through the family, um, and I noticed reading commentaries, many people would spend a whole week on wives, then a whole week on husbands, then a whole week on children, then and fathers and servants, and it would be easy to do that. It would actually be easy to spend multiple weeks on each one. There was so much on it, um, but I kind of went through, and then the next week I kind of covered it again and finished hastily, and uh, thought, well, I might as well go through it again. <laughs> kind of, I think this will be the last one, just focusing more, obviously, having recently started overseeing the children's ministry. My heart's been with looking into that again and also being on the committee to help form the school, um, educating children. Looking into that has been on my heart, so I'm going to get to share a lot of that tonight as we uh, look at some verses. Obviously, a disciple is a taught one, and we are to disciple our children. So... Hopefully they're learning, they are learning from us, right? No child ever came out the same way and lived unless there's something wrong with them. They talk without trying to express it to them because they pick up on you. They'll talk just like you. But God has a lot to say about it, so we'll just kind of touch on this again in a vein. So, Father, we just want to, Again, we know that we are your children, so anything that you tell us about teaching children, it's your heart towards us, and we, we want to glean from this. We want to be taught, Lord, from you, as well as learn how we are to teach others. So we ask that you would impart your heart to us. Fill us with your spirit that we might not only know what you want us to do, but be able to do what you want us to do. Um, that we might be able to worship you with crowns forever because you're worthy. Um, have your way with us. Speak. And if we're not, cause your servant to listen, that we might hear your voice in Jesus' name. Amen. So specifically, Colossians 3.21, just the one verse, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And uh, don't provoke them. We had flipped back to Ephesians 6, 4, and you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And we know that that means uh, discipline, rules, and regulations with rewards and correction. And to admonish them means to counsel or warn, expecting a particular outcome. And that word is used in the New Testament in two other spots, once in 1 Corinthians 10, where it says that of the things that Israel's past that God has shared with us, we know that the books couldn't contain alone just God's miracles, but he did include a lot of Israel's history uh, for our admonition, for our being able to learn from what they did right and what they did wrong. And we are to do that to our children, hopefully People can learn from mistakes, and unfortunately, a lot of people have to go through it themselves, go through un unnecessary difficulty if we would just be able to learn from others. But that's something that we are to impart in Titus 3.10, um, Paul telling Titus not to sit there and get into arguments or debates with a uh, people that are teaching false doctrine. He says, after the first or second admonition, then just cut it off. And obviously, we can't do that with our kids. We can cut the conversation off, but we're not going to expel them from our home because they don't agree with us. We will just um, talk to the other side of the body as necessary because we love them. And uh, one thing I didn't mention, we talked a lot about discipline last time. We went through a lot of verses about discipline. And uh, just to impart from experience, both good and bad, for parenting, that if you, some people think that it's, it's not kind or it's not right. Obviously, Dr. Spock had written a book years ago that said, you know, we've just created the most violent generation 
in history of our country because people had listened to him and stopped chastising their kids. And uh, sometimes it almost seems unkind to do that. However, God's word says it works. It's not only works, it's healthy. It's not only healthy, you'll do it if you love them. And I noticed just from experience, if you don't promptly discipline your child, then sometimes you'll wait too long, and then it gets personal, then you get angry, and then you shouldn't be disciplining your child. Don't, don't wait until you get mad. To do it because it's the right thing to do. Love your child. Don't angrily beat them. Obviously, there's a, a counsel there. So admonition. Jesus commanded, he said, let the children come to him. And the word let means to permit, to allow, and not to hinder. Kids will naturally go to Jesus. I, I Maybe we're all different. I'm strange and weird, and I know all of that, but I don't know you guys. But I remember not being brought up in a home where we went to church or read the Bible or saw my parents pray. But I prayed when I was a little kid. That was a long time ago, and I remember. I, I knew there was a God. I, sometimes I would be sitting there, and I'd feel guilty, and I'm all alone in my room, and I'd put my covers off my head because I knew someone was watching me. I just inerrantly knew there was a God. And uh, they will come to him. I'll, he doesn't say, try to get the kids to go towards me. He says, don't get in the way of them coming to me. There's a natural bent for people to want to come to God. He goes, don't stop that. And how do we stop that? By doing the things that he says not to do and not doing the things that he says to do. And ultimately, God commands parents to teach and to train children. And the reason why he commands that is because children are his. Right? We, didn't, we didn't choose to be born. I'm not my own person. My parents might have wanted to, but they don't get to pick. You didn't get to pick your parents. You didn't get to pick the house you lived in, you didn't get to pick the, anything. God is the one that gives birth. He gives life. He known it from time past who was going to be born and where they were going to be. So if you're a parent, you're just a steward. So they're not your kids. I don't know how many times we talk about our kids. Um, well, they're under my custody, but God says that they're his. Even your, even your marriage, we talked about that. In heaven, you're not going to be married. So God gets to dictate how all these things work. He, he's the one that gets to tell us how and what to teach and to train. So we're just going to kind of stroll down. A, if you turn to Psalm 127. Short Psalm. It's a song of ascents, which means that as they ascended, so that they would every year when they would make their trips to Jerusalem, this is one of the songs that would be sung. And we'll just read it at first. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, stop and listen and think, ponder. Children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with their enemies in the gate. And just as we went through all the different places after Paul told us in Colossae and in, in Colossians and Ephesus, he says, be ye being filled with the Holy Spirit. Seek God. He's worthy. He's Savior. He's good. And then you need to put down the flesh, walk in the Spirit. He wants to do that. And then he tells you how to live your life. And then the life that he talks about, the practicality of being filled with the Spirit, it's, it's, it's supernatural, but it's real, and it's important, and it's in every aspect of your life. It's not when you're at church. And, he's, and he claims that. He goes, first wives, then husbands. And then he talks about uh, your church life, your family life, and employers and employees. And this psalm kind of goes through the whole thing. And it, it touches on all of those in a sense. 
So unless is a conditional clause of, it's conditional clause of possible situations. The Lord builds or another builds. So the question comes is who's building the house? And again, as we talked about marriage, you're on a mission. And sometimes when husbands and wives or husbands or parents and children have conflict, it's because they have an agenda or they have a goal or they have a vision, they have a different mission. I think, so why, why even get married? Well, if the reason you got married is different than the reason your, your spouse got married, then you're gonna have a problem eventually. It'll, it'll, it'll cause. So why have kids? And you could just, you know, why have kids? Obviously, they're a blessing, and it's a, it's a natural thing. God, I think, intended it. God could have just had people come up out of the ground. He's the one that chose for this whole birthing process. He wants to teach us something, right? There's not that you believed it, but, I mean, storks could have dropped kids off at your house, like, they, like the thing had said. Um, there's there's a, a process that goes through. There's pain involved. There's great joy involved. I wasn't even saved when our kids were born. I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit. I knew everything was true, but here comes this person into the world that I've never met before, and you look at them, and you've known them and seen them for 30 seconds, and you die for them. It's like God's giving you his heart. It's like there's something that we're to learn through this whole thing. It's a, he's, he's a smart God. But they're his kids. He wants us to learn. He's willing and able. And we reap what we sow. So what do you build? Whatever you're putting time and effort into building will come to pass. The problem is, is that if it's not the Lord that does it, it's empty. It's worthless. It's not good. And you're, and you're going to find that it's why are we even here? It always comes back to that. What's my mission? What's the goal? Why, why are we here? So unless the Lord builds the house, which does say that he wants to build the house, if your house is out of order, it can be in order. Just go to Jesus. Say, I need help. I don't know how to build. I don't have the material to build. I don't have a design. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing with this thing. What's it supposed to look like? And um, one of the things I'm going to keep going back to or at least references Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, right? Do not be conformed to this world, but be being transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's how you get to know what God's will is for your life. And doesn't the world have a design and a plan already? And if you don't do anything, you will be, I, when it, my simple mind, conformed means pressure from the outside. I think of Plato. Something outside making the Play-Doh be what it, wants, what it wants it to be. If you just wake up in the morning and live your life, you will have done a lot of things that day. And it was all been predetermined by something else other than necessarily something from inside or God's will. Your kids will grow up and get old and do things. The problem is, is that they won't be good if the Lord's not involved in it. Isn't it funny how as we progress, some of us older people anyways, how many sporting events for children used to be on Sundays? I remember when a grocery store decided to stay open on Sunday and everyone was freaking out because nothing was open on Sunday. Now, a chicken chain restaurant won't open on Sunday and people are making a fit about it. What happened? We've fallen a long way. Things change. Note the psalmist does not bid the builder to cease from laboring, nor suggest that the watchmen should neglect their duty, nor that men should show their trust in God by doing nothing. Nay, I say nay because I'm reading, this is Spurgeon. He supposes that they will all do that they can do. And then he forbids their fixing their trust in what they have done and assures them that all creature effort will be in vain unless the creator puts forth his power. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for he gives his beloved sleep. And just a note to dad, to dads, to fathers, I don't know how many people, my dad included, who's home now, hopefully with the Lord, he, he was a good example of a hard worker. His 
thought process from his era is I need to provide for my family. And he did it a lot. He did it hard. He tried, you know, he worked. So what's the point? What is, what is God's plan for building a house? Is it just so that you can provide stuff for your home? He never read me the Bible. What's he building? And sometimes we can sit there and say, I'm going to stay up late. I'm going to get up early. I'm going to work really hard. I want to bless my family by working really hard. And uh, I guess this generation, this isn't necessarily, because it doesn't seem like anybody wants to work anymore. <laughs> um, he is working. He doesn't say don't labor. He just says don't labor in vain. So you need to know when it's too much, and you need to know when it's not enough. But Dad's duty is not just to make sure that there's food on the table and that the roof doesn't leak. Those are things he's supposed to do. We just read through Colossians and Ephesians. It's a dad's job to teach. We read Psalm 78 a couple weeks ago. It's the fathers pass this on to the next generation. We're supposed to teach. I praise the Lord that God has raised up men to teach here, even in Sunday school. There's, I remember years ago when I first overtook it, everyone I would, God just raised up people, and there's a lot of people here teaching. And I would go and talk to other people at other churches that had Sunday school opportunities, and they oversaw their Sunday schools. And it's like, yeah, it seems like the women are doing all their teaching. Just can't get men to step up to the plate. And I had not just a man, but a man and a wife in, I think, every classroom. I was like, Lord, we're so blessed. Men ought to be setting an example, not just to their wives and not just because it's important. It's not just a witness to the kids that are here. But if they have kids at home, they're seeing that their parents take this seriously and their dad wants to teach. It's important. The kids are watching. And also, what do you stand up early for? What is your life all about? Is it more stuff? Do I need more money? I remember, I can't remember, I think there was an evil pastor here years ago that used to oversee the Sunday school ministry that thought it was funny sometimes to put me in with young kids. And, uh, and, and I remember asking, I mean, they were like, I can't, they were young. And I remember I said, like, how many, who in here wants a million dollars? And they all jumped out of their seats. It's like, what do you want a million dollars for? What are you going to do with money? I don't know. It's just ingrained in them. I don't know if it's just because they're Americans or because they're kids. But it's like, we need more. I want more. I want money. You can't drive. You can't get a car. You can't, I mean, what are you going to do with money? Your parents supply everything that you need. You're not content. And I also remember years ago going on a missions trip um, to Mexico with the church here. And... Uh, there were kids there that we were at an orphanage, and one of the guys that came with us had a lot of money, and he wanted to bless the kids because he's a good guy and he has a big heart, and he was buying them all kinds of stuff, and they were the people that served there. Like, you got to stop doing that. He's like, why? He said, because you're going to leave. And, and then after they talked to us and we sat back, we're like, you know what? These kids don't have anything, and they're happy. You know, they teach them Jesus, and they're poor. One of the things they were complaining about him buying them was just meat for their meals because they had tortillas. They, they didn't have meat very often, once a, once a week, I think. And he's like, they need to have meat every week, but then you're leaving and they're not going to have it every week. Don't ruin them. They're content where they're at. And what, what is important? What do people need? What do kids need? Uh, and How can they be so happy? And then you come home and then people are upset because they didn't get the newest bike or the newest stereo. The newest, like, we come home and you just see the contrast. Not that it's wrong for kids to have stuff, but... It's like stuff has them at a young age in this country. So, so what do we do? We work harder to try to give them more. But are we giving them what's good for them? Are we giving them what they want? Or are we giving them what the Lord told us they need? It's vain. It's emptiness. It's vanity to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For he gives his beloved sleep. Verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. So he gives children, not as a penalty, Spurgeon again, nor as a burden, but as a favor. They are a token for good if men know how to receive them and educate them. They are doubtless blessings only because we are doubtful persons. He said they're good if men know how to receive them and educate them. And then you start thinking, 
we're to educate our kids. So if you were to, let's just get out of the mindset of the, of the thing that our world in this country has conformed us into. You're, you're called it strange if you, I mean, you have to send your kids to school. We'll be talking about that in a bit too. But if you, if you had a blank sheet and you were sitting here and you look at God gave me kids, what does God want to do with them? And what do they need to know in order to do that? What would you teach them? What's important? So back in the day, right, we know that they were farmers, they were warriors. So kids were grown up pretty quick. Adolescence is a new concept, generally. By the time we're kids, we think of kids in our country now as adolescents, teenagers, they were already married or working or part of society. They can, it's, a, it's an ability that kids have, just not if they're brought up in a way to stay youthful for a long time. It's not necessary. They, we, I think we don't push our kids enough. We don't expect enough from them. They have an ability that's in there. God gave it to them. It's not going to want to come out. I still wouldn't do my homework if I had a choice. I don't, I don't like doing things that I need to, um, but it's in us, right? When it came to work, you work. You, you do what you got to do because you can. Um, when it's time to do something, do it. And it, they need to be encouraged to step forward in that. But how do we look at children? They're a heritage. They're from God. And again, they're from the Lord. That means they're his, and he gets to choose what to do. So verse 4, like arrows in the hand of a warrior... So are the children of one's youth. So now it's obvious we're to throw our kids at our enemies. You know, if somebody gets you upset, you babysit them. We'll see how much you, because my kids are horrible. No, just kidding. So what, what does that mean even? Like arrows in the hand of a warrior. In many ways, children are like arrows. So what's an arrow? Right? We all know this, but it's a piece of wood. You don't just pick up a piece of wood. If you throw it, it's, now it becomes a staff, or if you hit somebody with it. They must be carefully shaped and formed. They must be guided with skill and strength. They must be given care, or they will not fly straight. They must be aimed and given direction, or they will not find their own direction on their own. They are, in some respects, only launched once. Unless, of course, you hit the target and you can go get it again. But... Generally speaking, if you're shooting at an enemy, it's gone. They're an extension of the warrior's strength and accomplishment, and they have potential for much good or evil. You shape an arrow. God says you shape your children. Get them to be useful for what I've called them to do. And again, we talked about that in, uh, in Colossians and Ephesians. When we went to Proverbs 22, 6, I believe it is, it says that... Raise up a child in his way. Learn and know your children. What has God gifted them and called them to do? It's not like I have a home and I want to do what I want to do with them, and I have a goal and my kids need to fall in line to that. God doesn't do that with us. Everyone in this room is different. Joking with Pastor Richard the other day, he said, yeah, God broke the mold when he made you, but God broke the mold when he made everybody. There's only one of everybody. He has a specific plan for every single person, including your kids, and it's our job requirement as parents to say, what are you doing in this? And my kids were quite different. I'm sure if you have more than one kid, you'll find that to be true too. Even identical twins sometimes are rather different when it comes to what's inside of them. And you need to say, okay, how is this one supposed to be shaped and formed and fitted in order to be useful for God and his calling on their life? They must be shaped and formed. And again, otherwise you can just go through life. And what's going to happen then? You're just going to say, I want a lot of money, or I don't want to work, or some sin attitude in your life, and the world will be right there to have a way of allowing that to happen in your life. I find it funny that a lot of people that are always looking for help work really hard at looking for help. It's like, why don't you just work? So It's almost like, even at work, I notice that, even people that were employed, it's like they're trying to get out of work. It'd be easier just to do it. You're doing a lot of trouble trying to hide right now. <laughs> you know, just, just do your job. It's easy. There's, there's this way of being conformed, and there's also this way of being shaped and formed. 
and, and we're to be changed from the inside. God's the only one that can do that in our kids. But we are to make them fly straight. And that's one of the problems. In order to do that, you have to be a craftsman, which means that if you're going to be an arrow maker, you need to know how to make arrows. Well, if you're going to be a proper parent, then you know how to parent. Well, I don't know how to do that. Good, read the Bible. We have an instruction book. That's what we're talking about right now. All you got to do is read. God's really good with dealing with kids. He deals with you. He deals with me. He knows how to do it. How does God... How, so if you get mad at your wife, you get mad at your... I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to deal with my kids. What does God do to you when you mess up? That's what you should do with your kids. What does God do to you when you do well? We'll do that to your kids. We're supposed to be like Jesus. Jesus has kids. Well, I don't know what Jesus does to me. Okay, let's start there. Let's find out. Get saved. <laughs> Cry out to him. Talk to him. And listen. Um, they need, kids need given direction. We need that. We need to be, all of these things that we're talking about, kids, the same thing are true on our own. Then they will not find direction on their own. So they're, they're extended, they're shot. And I remember telling my kids, I hope it was of the Lord, but most people, they went to, we sent them to private schools. They had a, a decent education. They could have excelled. Some, they were very intelligent. They did way better at school than I did. So I was happy about that. But a lot of people just assume, because you live in this country, that when you graduate high school, you go to college. And I need to get a good job, and I need to make a lot of money. And I'm like, well, I don't know. What is God? I put it on them. What has God called you to do? Well, I'm not sure. My dad did that to me. He, yeah, I ended up, he said, I'm not going to say because everyone, I went to Brighton. Everyone went to college, except for losers. <laughs> And uh, and I can't. I did. I actually did go. I started out and I went a semester in like four weeks, I think, um, before I stopped going. So I'm like, I'm just going to get a job. This is not for me. And my dad was smart enough. That's why I was at MCC because I had put in for other schools and I got in. And my dad's like, until you show me you're going to actually attempt to do good at school, I am not paying for you to go because I did not do good in high school. And my kids did way better in high school than I did. But I still said, I don't know what God's called you to do specifically, but I need you to seek and find out and pray and to tell me that you know what he's doing. And if God shows you what you're supposed to do, then I'll help pay for you to go to college to become that. And uh, if you don't know, then you go to Bible college and learn how to hear from the Lord. And they both ended up going to Cary Chapel Bible College because they couldn't tell me that they knew what God wanted them to do. So... And then after that, I was like, if you want to go to college, you better pray. And if you want me to pay for some of it, you better pray. He talks to me too, because I'm not just going to pay for you to go to college for no reason. Because I know what happens in college, because I went there unsaved. So like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. And uh, like arrows, trap, a commentator says, the similitude Important that children must have more in them than nature, for arrows are no arrows by growth, but by art. So they must be such children, the naughtiness of whose nature is refined and reformed and made smooth by grace, and then they are cared for. They need to be formed. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. You raise them up properly. And again, they were a blessing at that time because if you lived on a, an agricultural society, an agrarian society, then you had workers. So they, they stayed there until they got married and went off on their own. So we can say, you know, they were skilled tradesmen, but they weren't really being trained a skilled trade. They were just being prayed or trained to live. That's how they lived their life. They were part of the family. They were brought in. And uh, I remember there was a family that had come here, and when my dad passed away, they brought their kids to the calling hours, and they had a young child with them. And some of my family was like, that's kind of weird to bring kids to see a dead body. You know, some kids that might freak out. And uh, the Lord had already showed me, you know, living on a farm, you see that all the time. People die, things die. 
eternity is bound in the, in the heart of man. We, we know that. And a lot of people that I work with when they got older, they wouldn't go. Forget about bringing your kids. They wouldn't go themselves because they didn't want to have to deal with the fact that we're gonna, somebody, you're going to die someday. I just want to block it out of my mind. But when you grow up on a farm, it's there. You've got to talk about it. You've got to deal with it. You've got to look at it. It's not a natural thing. It's not a comforting thing um, unless you know the Lord. And then it, you just got to work through it. You get prepared for it. There's a lot of healthy things when it comes to spending time with your family, being at work with your family, being part of a culture. It helps you become part of uh, the workforce, part of the church. It's important. Another spot where God tells us how to train, if you'd flip Deuteronomy 6, very well read portion of scripture. We'll just read the first 15 verses. Deuteronomy 6, verse 1. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I don't know if you've caught the theme here, but it's supposed to be all the time. All the time. We're supposed to be talking to God all the time. Pray without ceasing. There's no moment that I'm not consciously aware that God is here and there's no moment when I'm around my kids that I'm not conscious that they're his kids and that I'm to teach them something and they're to be with them all day. They were around their kids all day. They were before the Lord all day. And they let their kids know that they were before the Lord all day by talking to them about who they were talking to. Verse 10, so it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, Houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, when you have eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of peoples who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. So they're to be around their kids and teach them all day. And they're to teach them the fear of the Lord. And I came across an article, and again, how did that stop and when did that stop? When did we stop spending that much time with our kids? When did we say that, no, life is all about me being a child, being stupid and getting away with it, being stupid and not being allowed to get away with it, being stupid and hiding it from my parents, then going to school and being stupid, and then all of a sudden having, I guess I got to grow up. Where did the idea of going away to school come from? I said, we're on a committee. Whose idea was it to go to school? Where did schools start? So going through all of this stuff, I did come across the, an article that says, forgive me, this is kind of a 
reading off a paper, but I thought it was pertinent. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, we find God giving to Israel the greatest commandment. The first three verses give the primary responsibility of man towards his God, the duty to love the Lord with his entire being. This is followed by the commandment to teach this to the next generation. The Jews call this passage the Shema and have made a covenant to hear or read this passage twice a day. It is important to devout Jews. This passage teaches that the parents are to teach their children the doctrines of their faith and the reasons for believing them. They're to be taught diligently to the children by the parents. And then he quotes, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou wakest, walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them on their hand. We read all that. Notice two things about this passage. It is not a suggestion given for man's consideration. It is a command from the God of the universe. Second, the command is not given to a government or village of people. It is given to the parents of the children. Our responsibility given to parents may not be passed on to anyone else without God's permission. A study of the Bible does not release the parents from this responsibility. It will be the parents who will give account to God for what they have done with the children committed to their trust by a holy God. God will hold parents responsible for receiving an education that leave God's out, that leaves God out. For many years, the parents in the home taught the children. Long before the term homeschooling was first used, the education of children was done in the home. Later, parents felt that someone with more education should be teaching them. So they paid tuition for private schools or educated their children in schools sponsored and run by churches. Private or parochial schools provided God-centered education that was watched over by the parents of the students. The pilgrims left England to get away from religious persecution and made their home in Holland. They soon found that they had to leave Holland, where they had been given religious freedom, but not the right to educate their children themselves. They knew that their children would lose their faith if they were educated in the schools of Holland. They sailed to America, endured the hardships of life in a new country, and suffered greatly to guarantee a Christian education for their children. Many of the institutions of learning in America began as God-centered education institutions. The first 100 institutions of higher learning in America were founded as Christian schools, some to train missionaries and pastors. Soon, however, a need became evident for schools to train the children of those who did not have enough money to afford the private or parochial schools, or so they formed pauper schools to provide schooling for these children. These were funded either by townships or counties or by churches. Before long, Christians resented paying for the education of their own children while having to pay for the education of the children in the pauper schools. They insisted that their children should receive a free education like the others. Pauper schools became public schools, and the curriculum was determined so that no particular religion would be presented. Today, we see the end result of that program. The question for the Christian parent is, how do we carry out God's command regarding the education of our children? For some, the answer is clearly homeschooling. Several educational institutions have provided all the tools necessary for a parent to provide a good education right in the home. For others, the answer may be seeking the help of a Christian school. Many fine learning institutions provide a Christ-centered education with good academics. There may be some that will need to have their children in public schools. Perhaps these parents have the toughest job of educating their children according to God's order. They must know what is being taught and counter false teachings that would rob their children of their faith. Since they are going to have to do a lot of teaching over again, they might be wise to consider one of the other two alternatives. Remember, children are not born in institutions and are not given to governments. They are the blessing of the Lord to parents, the fruit of the love relationship and marriage, that is the symbol of the love Christ has for the church. God gives children to parents so the children will be taught the love of God and a love for God. God never gave a command to maintain a certain lifestyle or to achieve a certain level of wealth. He did say these words, I teach you this day, teach them diligently to your children. God has given us a command to raise kids and I, for one, can get caught up into laziness. Fortunately, I did that right at a cost. 
private schools are expensive. We did not feel led to homeschool, which I thought was the better alternative, but it is what it is. How did we get here? Romans 12, I think we let the world conform us. And I don't think it's a coincidence. I have a little bit of time. I've, I've been preparing a lot, and this is odd, not having just a Bible study again. But the history of public education, right? Ancient civilizations refer to a stage of development, not a specific time. The existence consisted of agricultural, hunting, farming, and war. So if you were to have a kid in what we would call an ancient civilization, what did your kids need to know? They needed to know how to sow, hunt, farm, and fight. Sounds like a football practice. I don't know, <laughs> except for the sewing part. <laughs> it, 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 you, you learn what you need. And again, a blank sheet. If all you were going to do is raise a kid today, what would they need? And it's kind of funny how many different answers you get. What do you, what's the goal? What's the target? What are you shooting at? You're forming an arrow. What do you, where do you plan on launching it out? And I don't think how many people would sit there, how many parents would rightly understand that our existence on this earth is short. We're preparing them for heaven. What do you need in order to be prepared for heaven? If you did everything to make your journey along the way comfortable and then you never got there, you failed. It's not about being comfortable. Our flesh wants to be comfortable. My flesh wants to be comfortable. That's what I want to do. It's a natural, that's what happens. But what you train up a child for will all depend on what you think they're, why they're here. It's an extension, again, of us, our training. So religious life consisted of music, reading, and sacrifices. So when they trained a child for a religiously, they would usually take them to a priest, and they would teach them. And again, back then, a lot of them didn't read. It wasn't necessary. You didn't need to read. You didn't need to read to know how to ride a horse or to plow or to plant seed. And then the Jews came along, and we read about what God did here, and their whole culture was passed on. What did they teach their kids? Well, we can read all the way through the Bible in the Old Testament. It tells us what he told them to, to teach and what was God's purpose for them. He wanted to set apart their God as the only God, the holy God, and he was distinct among everyone else. He was holy. And they passed that on to their kids, and they taught them that. And quite frankly... I went to a school with 70 percent were Jewish, and they're still really smart. They remember stuff. This whole thing worked. And they were out of their land for 2,000 years, and everything that they were taught is still there. It worked. They, they, they kept it. They kept their religion. They kept their law. They kept their language. They kept their music. They kept everything because they kept passing it on from generation to generation because it was important to them. And if you have something that's important to you, it'll pass on. And unfortunately, nowadays we think that things are passed down through culture and areas. So, oh, I'm, I'm from this group of people, so I'm a good engineer, or I just get angry, because we think those are the things that are passed down. And unfortunately, a lot of that is true. We do pass that on, because our kids become like who we are. But wouldn't it be nice to have had all of these things passed on? And then, uh, then we get to the Greeks, right? Richard's going through Daniel, and you see that... Uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes along, and next thing you know, the Greeks come. Um, eventually, the Greeks come. So f- I remember when I went through uh, vain philosophies when I was going through Colossians, but Socrates, I, I went through kind of at length about him. Well, he taught a system of questions and answers to provoke thinking, and uh, his kind of like what Boko one was kind of based on, we wanted kids to think. So just getting them to learn and go through a rote Ritual. We, we, you know, we want to engage them in, in mind and in thinking. And one of Socrates' uh, students that took on that was Plato, and Plato had this whole process of logic. Um, he wrote three books, the Protagoras, the Republican Laws, and he was concerned more with the integration of education of the individual that would advance the state. So he started saying, you know what, we need to take kids and we need to teach them things that will benefit our society, kind of like what the Soviet Union did. You know, we got beat 
by them in sports in the Olympics for years because their kids knew that they were going to be in sports from the time they were born. That's all they trained them in. And they were kind of like professionals. But they understood that we're going to use them for our advantage. They, they went through. But then he dealt with the, with the soul of the student. That was one of the platonic messages. He had four virtues, wisdom, temperance, courage, and justice. And he saw three classes of society, philosophers, warriors, and laborers. Um, so he actually had five different levels of teaching. And it was from the time that you were born until you were 50, which I thought was peculiar. Because I know the priests, they would serve until they were 50, and then they would back off and just train the other people that were coming and, and doing it. So that was kind of a biblical number in my head. And he understood wisdom was an attribute of God and truth was synonymous with beauty, and both would manifest into a more virtuous man. So he actually pursued to get those qualities into kids because he thought society would be better. And then he established the academy. And that technically, as far as I can tell, was the first school of higher learning. So the Greeks came out with this whole thing and began training children in order to get them to be useful in society. And Aristotle was a disciple of Plato, and Aristotle served with a guy in Daniel, referenced as Alexander the Great. And uh, he started the first privately funded but state-run elementary school. And these schools didn't have any research, curriculum, degrees, libraries, or buildings, um, but they were very extensive. And then Rome came along after that and began with crude schools. But in 270 BC, something happened as Rome was going out and conquering uh, they came to this Greek city, Tarentum, and they brought slaves from the city back. And these slaves were serving, and then eventually they became free, and they were really smart. So they decided to, they, they wrote, they translated Greek literature into Latin, and then they started schools teaching them. And they basically focused on public speaking, public speaking, public speaking, I should take this class, <laughs> um, and physical development. And they knew of science and math, but they didn't see any benefit to the state by teaching that. So we can spend all this time and effort into teaching kids about that stuff, but they didn't find anything. Second century, Christianity grew and it became a big influence. Um, I'll, I'll kind of skip through some of this. But Clement of Alexandria brought in philosophy, astronomy, physics, and math. So now all of a sudden, they're getting more detailed. Third century, Christianity became legal and that spread. In the fourth century, monasteries spread all over, and many unwanted children were sent there. So now all of a sudden you have these big places high up. You see that in a lot of the, the movies, especially kind of like in the these kids that are lepers and all these colonies, these kids come. And they were taught religion, math, reading, writing, and eventually medicine. And then Charlemagne, or Charles the Great, ordered priests, and they established in 797. BC was the first public schools funded by donations. So now all of a sudden we got to a place where kids are being sent and it was a law and they were being trained. 1133, Robert Pullen began lecturing in the town of Oxford and he had a university. In the 16th century, the universities for the poor began. Cambridge had 13, Oxford had 11, Paris had six. All were founded by bishops, canons, and theologians primarily for theology, but some grew to include liberal arts and medicine. And then we had the Industrial Revolution, and now we're hitting home. The young and poor labored six days a week, so kids are back to being slaves again, and they're working hard, and they would give them one day off a week, Sunday. And Robert Rakes, he lived from 1736 to 1811, saw this, and his heart was broken for these kids and all they're doing is being used now. So he started schools at church on Sunday and wanted to help them get out of this, and he taught them how to read and religion. And that's how Sunday school started. And he used the Bible as a textbook. So when Sunday school first began, it was because kids were working six days a week. So they weren't necessarily looking to come and play games and have fun. They needed to have a better life. They needed something that was important. They needed hope. They were basically slaves. 
And Sunday school was there to say, you know what, you need to read and you need to learn because you need to know what the Bible says because you're here for a reason and it's not just to be a slave laborer. We want to give you hope. And I had asked, just about done, sorry, this is kind of a lot of reading, but I asked if anybody had known when the first law in our country was that became, that made it mandatory for kids to go to school. Is there anybody in here that's familiar with that? Well, I'm going to read you the law because I find it fascinating. But in 1647 in Massachusetts, there was a law called the Old Deluder Act, or some call it the Old Deluder Satan Act. And this is the law, which you might find separation of church and state would be insulted, I might add. But education was designed to outwit Satan, and it wasn't an option in Puritan Massachusetts. In 1647, the Massachusetts legislator passed the Old Deluder Satan Act, which required selectmen to make sure parents educated their children. More than a century later, John Adams drafted the Massachusetts Constitution with a guarantee of public education for all citizens. But in 1647, this is the law. It being one chief project of that old deluder, Satan, to keep men from the knowledge of the scriptures, as in former times, keeping them in an unknown tongue. So in these later times, by persuading them from the use of tongues, so that at least the true sense and meaning of the original might be clouded by false glosses of saint-seeming deceivers, and that learning may not be buried in the graves of our forefathers in church and commonwealth, the Lord assisting our endeavors, it is therefore ordered by this court and authorities thereof that every township in this jurisdiction after the Lord hath increased them to the number of 50 householders shall then forthwith appoint one within their town to teach all such children as shall resort him to write and read whose wages shall be paid either by the parents or masters of such children or by the inhabitants in general by the way of supply as the major part of those that order the credentials of the town shall appoint. And it just goes on and basically says who's paying for it and how big the town has to be. So school, the first public school in our country was founded in 1647 so that kids would be able to learn to read so that they would understand what the scriptures say and that Satan wouldn't be able to deceive them and lie about what the scriptures actually said. That was the first, so it wasn't just that they taught from the Bible, they taught about the Bible, the first law. And I don't know if it's ironic or sad, but the same institution now, I don't, Satan got everybody together and now all of a sudden, now that God's removed from it, it's what opportunity does he have to deceive them all now that they're all there? And the stuff that they're being taught now is the exact opposite of what the intent was when it came together. And it said, I, I still remember a Carrie Chapel magazine with Ken Graves on it, Pastor Ken, and uh, he was in the sedan, and he was the LRA was out fighting and killing kids and uh, just massacring people. And he would walk in and have the kids kill their own families and then take them as soldiers. And they couldn't sleep at night because of concern for a raid, so they would walk miles and miles to safe tents where people would gather and protect them just so they could get a good night's sleep. So they'd have to walk miles and miles just to be able to go to bed safely. And uh, Ken was quoted in there how silly Satan was that the very thing that he used to try to destroy you brought you here so that you could hear the gospel. We're going to redeem this. Now you're all here in fear, and I'm going to tell you that there's hope. And that's how it had started. We wanted our children to be able to be taught to know the truth of the scriptures. And now that the enemy got a hold of it, shame on us because of what we've done in our country, not necessarily this church or you, but he took advantage of it. And now he's using that same thing to pollute them, to drive them away from him. And, uh, are hard to fight back. So what a good time that would be to take communion because we want to ask forgiveness for our country like Daniel did, even though he didn't do anything wrong. He prayed and asked forgiveness for his nation. Well, that's kind of heavy, isn't it? The uh, school stuff that we went through, and I just am mindful that
God has a plan, and uh, I don't know how I would have looked at all of that in sight of, in lieu of where our, what we teach our kids today, in lieu of where our country is spiritually, I think the schools probably represent where our nation's at, which is why God allows it to happen that way. But would to God that the only people in public schools were Christian teachers, or the only Christians in public schools were teachers? <laughs> that would be awesome. Let, let's, uh, let's grab grab them out of there, um, but just mindful um, to pray. You know, what can we do? We can raise our kids right. We can raise our grandkids right. We can tell them the things that are important. And then after that, um, let's start a school. Let's make something else available and and pray, right? We've messed up as a nation. In, uh, in, second, in First Peter chapter 2, it says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. And again, grace is something that you get that you don't deserve. God is gracious. We come to him because he's gracious. We wouldn't come to him otherwise. We'd be too beaten down. But God just says, I'm meeting where you are. Let's start there and come towards me. And it says in verse 4, coming to him as a living stone, Rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are built up a spiritual house, unless the Lord builds the house. He is building our house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So anything that we've failed personally, anything our nation has failed before, any way that our kids failed, I mentioned before Job would sacrifice for his kids daily. And um, we're priests. What do priests do? People come to them, bring animals, and they get the barbecue, right? They would cut it up, and they would offer the meat, and they would say, this represented what was to come, and now we look at this, and it represents what has come. And as we think on Jesus, and we think on he covered all of our sins, he forgave us, he took the penalty for it, and uh, he wants to give us new life. That picture of baptism, the old man dying, put on Christ, as it says in Colossians. Put off the old man, put on Christ, and this is what, what this represents, is what makes that able to happen. So Jesus said, my body broken for you, my blood spilled for you. When you take this, remember me. And remember that this isn't become anything. It's what it represents. And you can do this at home with your kids. Teach them. So, Father, we just thank you that you made a way, that you have a provision. You have a plan. You put us in this spot and this family at this church at this time for a purpose. And uh, we can't do anything unless you empower us, Lord, and you've made a way. And right now we just remember back to what you did on that cross so many years ago, paying for our sins, taking away the guilt, taking away the shame, speaking to us about grace, about coming back to you at any moment because we can, because you want us to. Thank you for making a way. Forgive us for what's been done here our lack of participation in it, and encourage us through this renewal to get involved and show us what you'd have us to do. Thank you that you made the way in Jesus' name. Let's partake. Thank you for the blood, Lord. Just mindful from this morning, again, being priests, offering up sacrifices, uh, Unless the watchman watches, reading about prayer, it says, as Rob, this morning in Luke 11, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, give us day by day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 
and uh, Lord, we do need deliverance. Lord, this nation needs deliverance. Our kids need deliverance. Lord, we do have an adversary. Uh, we know that you are greater than him, that he's been overcome. Uh, the only thing hindering our kids from knowing you is their own sinful heart and us. Lord, help us to do our part in allowing them to come to you. You say, let the children come to us, Lord. So enable us. Uh, we just pray, save them, please, Lord. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon them. Reveal yourself to them. And uh, let this church represent you well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for putting up with my rant. Have a good night. <laughs>